arts are everywhere and in everything. And there's a fascinating, unique person and story behind each one. And that's what the Arthropologist is all about. Exploring the arts, one unique person and one unique story at a time. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist. This is part one of a two-part interview with dermatologist Dr. Julie Wyatt. For part two, go to Tattoo Regrets, Are They Reversible? The subject of this episode has been on my mind for years, and that is how does creating art affect the skin? I, I really became interested in this as I watched during the evolution of my 35-year career, the preoccupation now that so many artists seem to have with the supposed dangers of working with mineral spirits and turpentine and other paint materials, this got me to thinking about the overall relationship between the arts and how it affects our skin. So I thought, who better to ask about our skin than a dermatologist? And this is where my friend Dr. Julie Wyatt comes in. So, Julie, welcome to The Arthropologist. Okay, uh, before we get started, if you would, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into this practice, um, maybe where you studied, and then define for people what a dermatologist is, what you really, what your field is, is focused on. Sure. So a dermatologist is a, a doctor who focuses on um, infections and inflammation and cancers of the skin. Um, they treat people of all ages, children, in, infants, um, as well as older people. Um, so I went to four years of medical school at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. And then I did a residency um, in dermatology at the University of Virginia. So as part of that training, do a year of general medicine and then you do three years of dermatology. When I finished training, I came back to the University of Mississippi and I saw patients, taught medical students and residents, and then slowly over those years, we built a training program at the university where we actually did a three-year training program for um, physicians wanting to be dermatologists. Um, and I did that for almost a decade, and then I'm in private practice, which I've been doing for the past three years. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, God, you're, you're talking about such a long span of time and knowing you personally, you don't look that old. So, uh. <laughs> well, I am a dermatologist. So. <laughs> uh, I've got the inside scoop. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I was finding so important about this is that our skin is the largest organ of the body as I understand it. And That's correct. it's responsible for protecting us from foreign pathogens, as well as the sun, water, heat, cold. It's pretty pretty amazing when you think about it. And we really need to take care of it. That being said, um, on the one hand, we actually live in the safest environment humans have ever lived in. Um, mm -hmm. But we are also exposed to a lot of stuff that, you know, hundreds or a thousand years ago, humans weren't exposed to so there's a trade-off and i understand but mm -hmm. let's get right into it the first question that i've got is i honestly feel like that artists today are really 
exaggerating the threats that are coming from oil paints. Uh, when I do workshops, I am not exaggerating. I will have students that they're in virtual hazmat suits. I mean, they're wearing rubber gloves that are these, these thick, bulky things. They're wearing face masks, not because of COVID, but because they're afraid of being exposed to turpentine, mineral spirits, cadmium in their paint. And I would like to get as accurate a scoop as you could give me just how dangerous is it for an oil painter to be interacting with mineral spirits and turpentine? Okay. Well, I, so I think it's an interesting point. I also see, I think in our society, generally everyone's wanting to say, you know, to put different labels on things, good and bad. And it's just not simple. Um, well, I'm going to start out with a quote from a, a doctor um, that lived long ago named Paris Self. And this is a quote that he, he was, he's considered the father of toxicology. He says, all things are poisons, for there is nothing without poisonous qualities. It is only the dose which makes a thing poison. And so that, I think, sums up well the idea that rather than looking at things that with simple, um, simple markings of good and bad, you got to think about what, you know, what the substance is, but also what environment and how often you're exposed um, and the time that you're exposed to it. So a lot of people think, you know, particularly in the over-marketed world we live in, you know, if something says natural on it, then it can't give you a, an allergic reaction, and that's just not true. Um, so I think looking at things um, balanced is probably the best way. So, you know, I, was, I wasn't, I haven't heard about turpentine, so when you gave me a couple of notes to read, I was looking at, you know, turpentine is a, a resin from trees, mostly pine, that is used to, to um, work paint off. And so it, it's, it can be an irritant. So anything that comes in contact with the skin can be an irritant, right? Right. And it depends on, you know, if, some, if there's a person who has an intact skin. And our, our skin is a great barrier. So if pe people who have intact skin are going to have a better barrier than people who have chronic rashes or breakdown of their skin. So really, that, it does matter to the individual. Some people are going to be more sensitive to some things than others. So that matters because the more um, the more rashy, so to speak, your skin is, the more likely you are to absorb whatever you come in contact with. Right. If your skin's intact and without any kind of disease in it, then it's more of an impenetrable barrier. I mean, it really does um, help to keep things out. Now, if you look at... If, if something is in contact with your skin for a long time, then it's going to be great, more greatly absorbed. And then if it's over a wider area of skin, it's going to be better absorbed too. So you have to look at a lot of things um, when you're looking at, is this bad for me or good for me? Right. You know, I was thinking about what you were saying and uh, I've heard people talk about that, you know, if, uh, if water were first introduced, were introduced today, um, that would probably be banned by OSHA and the FDA because it's incredibly dangerous. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so is oxygen. Oxygen is, is one of the most corrosive gas. It's the most corrosive gas that I know of that's natural. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, um, you know, you have to be careful about using oneself as a, uh, an example, you know, I can say, well, I've been painting with turpentine or with mineral spirits for 35 years and it hadn't affected mm -hmm. me. Well, I mean, that's like saying 
someone's 90 and says, I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day and it didn't affect me. So that, I mean, that's all individual. But, Mm -hmm. you know, just the history of oil painting, it's been around for about 500 years, ever since the Renaissance. And Mm -hmm. the idea that that, uh, these things, I mean, yes, they were things that came out in history that were poisonous, arsenic that was put in um, paints in the 1800s. Um, that turned out to be not a good idea, and they took that out. But, I mean, my, my biggest concern with this was just, again, working with students that, I mean, literally, if they get a drop of mineral spirits on them or if they get any of their paint on them, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. panic. And I, I yeah. kind of tell them, you know, you don't need to panic. If, if you're healthy, you're the labels on these things, a lot of times when they talk about, you know, using them in an industrial manner, well, that's people who are in an industrial environment where they're spraying it and they're they're in contact with it on a large percentage of their skin all day long mm-hmm. for years. So, okay, uh, so if I'm... Which understand- reminds me of, you know, you have the, the old historic saying, Matt as a hatter, where people who worked with felt hats use mercury in some way to develop the felt. And so that's why the mercury caused neurodegenerative disease in those people. And that's where the term mad as a hatter came. Now, again, if you were someone who wore that hat intermittently, you probably didn't, you didn't get the same exposure. So you really do have to, you, if you're going to be in a, a, a certain field and you're going to be around certain things, you do want to have respect for it and use it in the right way and do it if there is some protection that's needed. But, you know, if you get a little, a little, dose of mineral spirits or turpentine on your hand for just a few moments it's gonna you know it's gonna be okay well let me i paint more with acrylics now but when i was painting with turpentine and 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 mineral spirits i would literally have a kind of a damp tissue or paper towel in my hand that i would be wiping my brush with so my left hand was usually almost always touching damp rags or cloth with mineral spirits in them um, all day long. And, I mean, maybe that wasn't such a good idea to be in contact with it 12, 14 hours a day, even in a a light form, Uh, but I did Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it didn't seem to affect me, so I... uh, But you would, I guess you'd say, you don't have to wear gloves, but don't bathe in it. That's right. I mean, it matters your exposure. I mean, you want to be smart about it. Like, I, you know, but again, if you have an impact skin and you have a, a thoughtful way that, that you deal with it, I don't think you need to wear a hazmat suit either. I mean, <laughs> right, that's really right. taking it to a new level. Yeah. Um, here's, here's another interesting story just about exposure. I had a an older 80-year-old dentist come see me, one of my first patients when I was out in, practicing on my own, and he had nails that were funny. His nails were just deformed and he had these little bumps around the the nail plate and he'd been seen by a number of dermatologists you know everybody thought he had fungus treated them with no response and it was only on a few fingers on each hand um and so i kept looking at it and i'm just it looks like like sun damage in a way but it was a, over his fingers well finally in working through um his story he had held over 50 years of, de- of dental practice, he had held the x-ray film in his hand and had his assistant just shoot the film. 
So it was a tiny little dose of radiation. Every once in a while, that's okay, right? But over the, all those years, it caused his nail his nails to grow out funny just oh, from damage. Wow. Oh, wow. So, so you know, that was a good lesson for me. Just there's like I work with liquid nitrogen, which can burn the skin, which is useful, but it's also dangerous. It's just like a lot of things in life. So just I think being balanced in some of these things are good. And also the idea that if something's, you know, natural, which says, you know, Turpentine is natural, but it doesn't mean necessarily mean it's safe too. We know poison ivy is natural, and it's really it's going to make a lot of people quite sick. Yeah. So just be in balance about the way we we label things good, bad, okay. um, natural, unnatural, those types of things. All right. Well, um, then moving on to uh, plein air painting. For those of you who don't know, plein air painting, um, it's French for plain air painting, uh, and it's real popular right now. Uh, plein air painting, uh, urban sketching, artists just going out and drawing and painting all day. That didn't used to be popular. It's it's really new, and I, I like it because I like doing it. But that okay. brings me to what I feel is a far more serious issue that artists need to be aware of, and that's skin cancer. Because mm-hmm. uh, getting out, I mean, I when I go plein air painting, I... I find the shadows. I just and I actually look at where I know the sun's going to go, and I try to find a place where, if I'm in the shadows, I'm going to stay in the shadows during the entirety of my uh, painting. And mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of people aren't that aren't that cautious. And I would like for you to speak to that just how serious uh, skin cancer is and how mm-hmm. cautious you feel we should be. Yeah, um, I'd love to speak on that because skin cancer is the most common type of cancer in the U- United States. Um, there's three main skin cancers to, th- to know about, basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and melanoma, okay? Basal cell carcinoma is the number one skin cancer. Um, it typically presents as like a shiny flesh-colored bump that can sometimes bleed, most commonly on the face. And it seems to be more associated in fair-skinned people who get intermittent heavy doses of sun. Okay, then squamous cell carcinoma is um, the second most common skin cancer. It's a little bit more serious than basal cell in the fact that it can grow deeper and metastasize, and basal cell rarely ever does that, thankfully. But squamous cell um, occurs when people who, who, get, who work outside in the sun, who get chronic sun on a daily basis. Um, and they can be on the top of the head and the scalp area, particularly men who are balding, um, the face, the um, ears, and then the hands and arms, forearms area. Um, and the melanoma is associated with sun exposure, but there's also a genetic predisposition to that. So if someone who has a, a family history of melanoma is at a much greater incre- uh, increased risk of uh, developing that than someone without the, um, the same risk. It, also, if you have a large number of moles, you know, some people just have more moles than other people. And if those moles are large and sort of funny looking, for lack of a better way to say it, those things increase your risk for melanoma too. Um, and so, again, I love the balance idea that the, should you never go outside and be in the sun? I, I don't think that. But if you are outside in the sun, 
in heavy doses and in long periods of time, and you're really fair skinned as well, you're going to increase your risk of can- skin cancer. Um, the sun is the highest in the sky over our earth from like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So if, if you're someone who, you know, doesn't like, who likes to be sort of in an area that's really sunny and doesn't want to wear sunscreen or wear a hat, you know, you might could choose those, those times. Um, Deacon Shade Bill is a great idea. Just put yourself in a place where um, you can't get quite as much. You'll get some reflection of light into those areas, but it won't be um, as direct as if you were in the um, the bright areas. Um, and then sunscreen is good, but sunscreen is not good enough. I mean, using something with an SPF of 50 and use it in all your hands and arms and face and ears, back of the neck, those areas are great. But I, pay, I really like to recommend people pair that with um, hats and shirts, you know, it's really easy today to find a fabric that has UV protectant factor. They call that UPS. And so those things really are superior to sunscreen because sunscreen, you know, you, you wear it, but then you also sweat and you rub. And so that doesn't stay on for very long. And so I'm thinking that as an artist, you've got your flow going and you're creating and you don't really want to stop and put sunscreen on. <laughs> right. So well, for, let me let me ask this uh, to break that down a little further. I never go anywhere without a hat, uh, just ever, uh, and a broad, mm-hmm. brim, usually a broad brimmed hat. Um, but uh, is reflections? If you're say uh, standing in a parking lot painting a cityscape or something, even if you're in the shade, can the reflections off of the pavement? give you a lot of UV or if you're by the water, can the reflection off of the water give you a lot of UV? It can. I'm I'm just thinking of a study that I read that was, it was looking at people under umbrellas at the beach. So they were more around sand and water. I don't know about the the reflection rate of pavement as much, but um, you know, you definitely have, I mean, if if we could see the vectors of light all around us, the visible light, but then the V rays that we can't see, it, it, you know, they're bouncing and changing all around us. So, I mean, it's again, better place, but you're still going to get a little bit of reflected light. Okay. But um, it, and I don't know those numbers. It wouldn't be something you'd be overly concerned about as far as um, if you were no. in the shade, uh, you're getting that's, some. That's right. I, you're getting some, but less. And then also, you know, I've seen you in your hat. That's a great thing. I mean, a, a broad, you mentioned a broad brim hat. And right. typically you want that brim to be about three inches yeah, because that allows a shadow to be cast on your face. But you can probably tell from wearing that hat, you still have some reflected light in your face. So you probably get a little bit of sun even with that, but you're getting much less oh, sun yeah. Oh, yeah. than you would. And then if you had, and baseball caps really aren't that great because they, they leave your ears and the lateral parts of your cheeks exposed. And, um, and, and so and as a practitioner of the sartorial arts, I will also say, um, from an artistic standpoint, uh, uh-huh. baseball caps are just blech, so don't wear them. <laughs> there are so many other nice. hats out there, cowboy hats, fedoras. There's just a whole lot of other hats. Well, let me, what do you think about the flat build baseball hats? That's awful to me. <laughs> uh, they're just—it's just bad. Oh. Uh, Just—they're just ugly. Please don't wear them. It's yeah. just wrong. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you were talking about clothing with um, SPF. Uh, I guess it's impregnated in a cloth or something. Would just a regular shirt, a regular cotton shirt or wool shirt or whatever, 
do they serve any protection at all or very little? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's said that a white T-shirt, so that's cotton with a, you know, you can kind of imagine the weave on that and then the color is an SPF of seven. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so if you if you have a, a darkly colored wool, tightly woven shirt, you're going to get much better protection. Okay. But it just shows you that not all fabric is impervious to light, and so that's oh. where a lot of people get confused. Um, and the, the I really the UV protective fabrics, you know, I've never really looked to see what actually they use in them, but it's, they're woven in such a way that protects, and they're also pretty like they're pretty um, breathable. So for people who live in hotter climates, I don't think it's really hard to wear them even if you're outside at, during a hot day right. but I just think they're great products and if you if you were to really look at the you know you think what well, a sun protective shirt might be kind of expensive but if you really laid it out against how much sunscreen you really need to buy to protect you'll come out way better on the um, on buying the protective clothing than the sunscreen right um, okay you you mentioned earlier about going in the woods and being exposed to things like poison oak and poison ivy, poison sumac. Um, I'm real allergic. I mean, if I come close, if I look at them, I, they affect me. A lot yeah. of people aren't. A lot of people just have absolutely no uh, side effects from it at all. Um, is is there Are there things out in the woods, if we're tromping around, that you can brush against, not exotic plants, because I know there are some exotic plants from South America. You touch them, they'll kill you. I mean, they're uh, uh, literally, they've got a poison that it's just horrible. But is there really, for most of us, other than an un, un, unhappy moment with poison ivy, is, is there much we have to worry about as far as uh, plants or irritants in the woods that, that would affect our skin? Well, I mean, I think poison ivy is the number one um, okay. and it's cousins, poison oak and sumac. But I mean, you, you can be allergic to anything, okay. anything. So um, like we talked about the turpentine and how it's derived from pine trees. I mean, you can be allergic to the sap of a pine tree. Mm-hmm. Um you can, um, you know, there's any any kind of tree. I mean, when when we allergic contact dermatitis is pretty common. It seems like it's increasing in incidence um, in my practice. And when I read the literature, I would think it kind of bears the same out uh, because we do. If you if you look at the list of ingredients on a, a skin product, you, there's a lot there, and so we are constantly being exposed to different chemicals over and over and over in our day, over a thousand, you know, in a day. Um, and then outside you've got grasses. You can be allergic to grasses. There's certain insects that may, you know, that you can make a produce an oil that you can be irritated or allergic to. So it's really like, I mean, when I say you can be allergic to anything, it's anything. My aunt, um, I, have but, a, I have a 94, I think she's a 94 year old aunt. She's allergic to the sun. That's right. So that's it. Yeah, so that's that's um, called polymorphous light eruption, and people get particularly it's, it's the worst. At, like in the spring, when you're first getting outside and getting heavier doses of sun, but you'll break out into a rash um, that can be quite bothersome. So, um, you know, gosh, we see poison ivy all the time. I think we might call some 
you know, poison ivy, I, I can't, by the way it looks on your skin, the rash doesn't tell me what exactly you're allergic to. Um, but it's always during a certain type of year, like in Mississippi where we are, when we know that's out and people are outside more. So I think, I mean, it is common, but, but again, you can, it really, it can be anything. Well, let me um, ask you this. Let's either reinforce or bust some myths. We've, you know, you'll hear okay. people say, be careful, don't scratch poison ivy because if you get it in your bloodstream, it'll go all over your body or don't, uh-huh. get, it, don't get it in your eyes or something like that. Can you get it in your bloodstream and can you get it in your eyes, I guess the eyeball itself? Mm-hmm. I've never seen it get into the actual mucosa, like the wet part of your eye, but you could get a, the lid part of your eye could be really affected. Right. Okay, so it... So the idea about poison ivy, okay, if you have an area that's um, got a higher exposure, more density of oil in that area of skin, you're going to break out first there, okay? And then where you've got smaller doses of the oil on your skin, you break out later. So it's a little bit delayed just because of the, again, the dose of the oil that was, that was given, was came in contact with your skin. So when you see that in real life, it appears like you're spreading poison ivy on your skin. You know, like the oil has somehow, I mean, the, the blister fluid somehow has something that is causing it to spread. But that's not true. You're just you're just showing, the rash is just showing kind of a time march, so to speak, about where you got the, the worst exposure to the, le- the least amount of exposure. But if you have an area on your skin that's really intensely inflamed because remember you said it's the largest organ in our body it is one organ okay so if one area of your skin let's say your right leg has an area that's very inflamed well your body's immune system produces something called cytokines and cytokines are these messenger signals to activate your immune system and so then when you start to get a rash kind of head to toe after you've had a really inflamed area that's when they, I guess, the quote, getting into your blood, I guess that's where that comes from. But it's just sort of a, it's almost like your skin is sympathetic to that one area that's really inflamed. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on then. We've been, we've been focusing on our um, visual artist. I want to move over to my colleagues in the theater and the film industry and ask about Mm -hmm. things like uh, the makeup and latex issues um, for actors who are putting on latex masks, who are doing lots of theatrical makeup. I know that there are are some people who are highly allergic. I am incredibly allergic to uh, latex. Uh, well, that may be an exaggeration. I'm sure you've seen people way more, but I can't wash dishes. I have to dry because if I wash dishes, even if I have those white gloves, cotton gloves that I put on, and mm-hmm. then, of course, half the time you can't find gloves that big, but if I get in contact with latex gloves for more than 20 or 30 minutes washing dishes, my hands break out and they hurt. It, so um, what's the deal with latex, first of all? Why are we allergic so, to that? Well, and just in some people, it 
produces like a, it can be a serious allergy, like a type one allergy where you would need like an EpiPen. So you get like low blood pressure, hives, that kind of thing. Or it can be just a more, uh, almost like a poison ivy type rash. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I haven't read about like the actual molecule and why it may be more allergen causing. And, it, but it may be that, you know, in, 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 in industry, they just used it a lot. And we know that when, you know, every allergen is acquired, allergies acquired. So you're not born with allergies. They just, with exposure and living, you develop them. And so if it's, if latex is used a lot, then people are exposed to it. With increased exposures, that risk goes up. And we see that, like, you know, nickel is used in so many different metals and nice jewelry and then costume jewelry um, and snaps on jeans and belt buckles. And nickel is a very common allergy as well because of that. That's, um, that's interesting. You know, a lot of people don't know that there are people with silver allergies. Uh, like mm-hmm. you were saying, you can be allergic to anything. So is it actually that there's a trace amount of that nickel or silver or whatever that the molecules that it's interacting with the molecules in your skin and that's causing the reaction? Yeah. So that little, that molecule that you have an allergy to will, will kind of seep into your skin and then that your, your skin's very hot. It's really, um, has a, it's important, not just at a physical barrier, but in your your immune system too. So you'll have a cell that sees that and then it starts to, to produce an, this immune reaction that to, the calm person just looks like an itchy red rash, but there's a lot going on there. Right. Um, um, so you like gold is such a soft metal that they'll combine it with nickel to give it some um, some hardness, and so we see that a lot. It's just, and again, it's uh, you know, is nickel more allergen pro- producing than um, titanium? I don't, you know, I don't know about that. You know, we, there are titanium allergies too. It's just that we use nickel so much more. Right. Then we use titanium. Right. Um, uh, well, well, well. Let me ask you this, Bill. So, if you have a latex allergy, do you know there's? Do you ever react to bananas or avocado or chestnut or kiwi? I do not react to bananas. I don't eat those other things. So okay, because uh, those are you can also be allergic to those other things if you have a latex allergy. Really? Okay. Uh-huh. Well, well, I'm so glad. That that didn't transfer over because I love bananas. Um, <laughs> yeah, the other things you mentioned, kiwis and avocados, I can live without those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so is is most are most cosmetics now hypoallergenic or is it just a mixture of the two? Because I see lots of makeups around that say hypoallergenic and so i was just wondering if most of them now are are made that way just because of potential allergies and clients yes so so i do not know the legal definition of hypoallergenic in order you know for that company to put that on the actual branding it it has to mean something standard right right and so i don't know what they've standardized that as because again any makeup can make you, can, you know, you can be sensitized to. Okay. So the, even some of these, you know, there's this big beauty push to have, to have clean makeup. And that just doesn't, you know, like, um, and I just don't, I think some of that's a little hype and some of it's a little um, marketing. Um, I'm right. sure there are some brands that are made better than other brands. Um, and, and, and maybe that hypoallergenic 
um, stamp, you know, means that it, there's an old chemical that they've taken out of it. I just, I just don't know exactly what that means, but you can be allergic to pigment. Okay. So the color itself, so, right. you know, they typically will have little, um, you know, mica in them. You can be allergic to that. I mean, there's just all kinds of things you can be allergic to. And it, it just depends. Um, and there may, there must be some sort of standard definition they use, but I just don't know what it is. Right. Well, while we're on this subject, then uh, we can talk about, well, one thing that brought this up to my mind was the, uh, everyone in the movie industry remembers that Buddy Ebsen was originally slated to be the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. But mm-hmm. when he put on the makeup, it, it nearly killed him. And uh, yeah. he had a nickel allergy. And he couldn't, well. he couldn't, do, uh, it made him really sick. And so um, he bowed out, and I can't remember who became the Tin Man. But um, mm-hmm. there's so so there's that. But I I know that the industry has changed a lot. They you know obviously it's has different safety uh, protocol than it did in the 1930s. Uh, but um, one one myth that continues to go around is the lady in Goldfinger, Shirley Eaton, who was covered with gold paint. And some people say she died. Well, she didn't. It didn't affect her at all. But that um, you breathe through your skin. And if you cover your whole body with paint, that you would suffocate. Um, and uh, c- could you address that? Could you, could you address whether we breathe through our skin and what would happen if you covered yourself in paint? So we don't breathe through our skin. We do, the skin is not 100% impermeable either. So you do absorb what goes on your skin. Right. Some things more readily than others. And if you, and so it goes back to that quote from Paracelsus. If if we were to put something all over our body surface, area, well, that's all we should do, right? Mm-hmm. A large dose of whatever. And so you can absorb it and you could, I mean, there are definitely, there are lots of reports of people using silver, for health, you know, health reasons or wounds, because silver is antimicrobial, so right. it's it's helpful in that. But if you overdose it, your skin can, will turn gray all over, a blue gray oh. color. Well, would you um, would you so overheat if you since we're uh, our skin is regulating our our heat? If you were to cover yourself with paint, could you eventually overheat, especially if you were exercising or something? You would have more trouble with temperature regulation. Okay. Um, and then, you know, your fluid status can be somewhat affected. Like if you were if you were in a hot situation and you weren't able to, that could, you know, preclude you from sweating. And then you could, over, I mean, sweat is the way that we maintain our body temperature. And so right. that, I, yeah, it would kind of depend like, and also like what's in the paint. I don't think it's just a pure physical barrier issue or that it was gold. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know that story. Did did she die? No, no, it didn't affect her okay. at all. As a matter of fact, um, the doctors, because they didn't know, this was in the 1950s, they weren't quite sure how it would affect. They actually had, from what I have been able to read, a team of like three doctors that were on staff to watch her temperature, her blood pressure and all. And because she was laying mm-hmm. on her stomach, they purposely left like 
so many square inches of skin mm-hmm. exposed. Um, you know, again, it was the 1950s, so they just they didn't know. But it's funny yeah. how those myths will continue on for ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I tell you what. Do you mind if we take this is a this is a fun fact? Okay, I was going to say a fun fact. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, you know, we use in the past we've used gold as as drugs as therapy. Oh, it inhibits really? the immune system. Mm-hmm. So that would be like a an oral gold drug would be a way we treated some skin rashes in the past. Really? Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, talking about turpentine earlier. Back in the eighteen or ni- early ni- uh, late eighteen hundreds, when all those uh, snake oil salesmen were going around, turpentine was mm-hmm. one of the main ingredients in a lot I of those that. things. <laughs> it's like, can you believe these people were drinking that stuff? I know, uh, I know. Well, and they and they lived. They they might have gotten really sick, but they. <laughs> they <lived. laughs> this ends the first part of my interview with Dr. Julie Wyatt. For the second part, go to tattoo regrets. Are they reversible? If you enjoyed this episode of The Arthropologist, there are more episodes on YouTube. To see my work, you can visit my website, BillWilsonStudio.com, where I have my books, prints, and originals for sale. I am a portrait painter and illustrator, and there you can contact me about commissioned work. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm The Arthropologist.